I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome back, everybody. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. As always, it's Ian Meadows, Sean McAdoo with you for the next hour or so. Uh, Jesse Granger is going to drop by for little Granger things. We'll uh, take a look at what teams have improved uh, over the summertime with some of the moves they've made. Uh, we'll talk about the latest in the Hockey Canada uh, situation as that continues to evolve after a couple of days of parliamentary hearings. We've got a lot to get to. Some This Week in Hockey History, some great mailbag questions. But I'll tell you what, Sean, we're going to kick off this show uh, with Mark Lazarus because there is, Sean, is there anything better than getting a gift in late July from a hockey writer? You know, it's the dead time in the, in, in the hockey world. We're thirsty for stories, right? That's thirsty. right. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, uh, I, apparently, I assume Mark would be off at the cottage or something, but uh, I, we, haven't hit the, we haven't quite hit August yet. So he was uh, uh, kind enough to gift the hockey world uh, with a pretty decent scoop here. Yeah, exactly. And that scoop being a, an, a, an exclusive conversation with uh, Chicago captain Jonathan Taves, in which uh, Taves kind of expresses uh, some uncertainty about his future. We'll leave it at that and, and we'll bring him in because he can explain this a lot better to our audience. Uh, yeah, listen, Mark Lazarus, thank you for the gift of late July podcast fodder. I, I love that all Canadians think that Americans have cottages, too. Like, we don't have a universal cottage system like you do up there. I just figured since you were a bigwig that like you would get an oh, invite. Yeah. To oh one yeah, of the, you, uh, you know it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like like getting a get, getting the invite to the cottage is like being a comedian and like on the Tonight Show in the seventies and eighties. Pull over Johnny, the couch. Johnny yeah. would wave you over. You knew you had made it, and that's uh, so. I just assumed you were there. No, I, I just figured you guys would talk about the Kachuk trade for the rest of the summer. Oh yeah, that was another we'll gift. Do, we're getting do that too one many, too. Yeah, we're getting too many gifts. Hey, by the way, Laz, do in Canada there's a part of the country that calls them cottages. And there's part of the country that calls them cabins. Ooh. Do we have that we, same same divide in the uh, United States? I, I know rich people in America have lake houses. Oh, I think that would be yeah. the equivalent. <laughs> but okay. most of us do not have second homes in America. It's uh it's uh we have to pay for college and healthcare and everything else, so it's problematic. Yeah. Yeah. I've most of the cottages I've been to would not be lake houses, let's just say. <laughs> I don't want to get your hopes up too high on uh, what these Ramshackle are Ramshackle like. yeah. lean-to yeah. on, on a pond I feel like somewhere. lake houses have like plumbing and stuff like that. 
<laughs> Amazing. Hey, listen, uh, we have you on because, uh, as we said, uh, y- you had a great uh, conversation with Jonathan Taves. And this is probably more of like the the kind of the uh, me just loving, you know, how these stories came together. So just walk us through. I mean, was this one of those things where you've kind of connected with Taves? You're like, hey, whenever you're ready to speak, I'm available. Did he reach out to you? Like, how did this one all kind of kind of come together? No, that that's exactly how it is. You know, I reached out to him. I said, look, you know, right after the Debrinka trade and the Doc trade, and I said, hey, uh, you know, obviously everyone's wondering about your future. So whenever you're ready to talk, let's talk. And he was ready to talk. And then I got COVID, so we had to delay it for a little bit. And then so it happened on uh, on what was it Tuesday of this week? Uh, we finally got together, sat down, and uh, and discussed things. He's always been open about this stuff. I mean, I mean, you know, after they uh, after they let Corey Crawford walk in 2020, you know, he kind of opened up to me about that, and then. Uh, you know, it's happened a couple times over the years now where, you know, he expresses some frustration with the way things are going. He's He has earned that right as the captain of the Blackhawks for the last 150 years. And uh, he, uh, you know, he's, 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 he doesn't like to sit there and stew. He likes to, to talk about it. And, you know, um, there, there's some people that are mad at him for all. Oh, he's always, you know, he's, he's, he's throwing the team under the bus or complaining or whining. And that's not what it is. He just, you know, he's the voice of the team. He has been for the, his entire adult life. And so people want to hear what he has to say. And he's, you know, not going to beat around the bush. He's not exactly thrilled about the idea of, you know, five years into what feels like a rebuild, starting a new rebuild. He's not thrilled about it. And who can blame him? Now, let me ask this question, too. Do you guys have a regular meeting spot? And and, and, do, <laughs> and, and I, I ask this because, you know, sometimes I will meet like Daniel Alfredson, for example. And there's a specific coffee shop in Ottawa that he's like, hey, let's meet here. And every time we sit down, people are always like, Oh my God! There's Daniel Alfredson and hey, Ian's like, and, and they kind of eavesdrop and they sort of pay attention. You can tell that people are paying attention. I like, is that what happens with you and Taves? Do you have no, a, do you have a no, set we don't, spot we don't, we don't, we don't have, we don't have that. We're, we're not that tight. I wouldn't say no. we, just, we, we, we have <laughs> we have a very trusting working relationship where he trusts me and I trust him. And uh, you know, when when there's something to be said, uh, you know, usually I'm the guy who says it. Uh, he says it to, and you know, sometimes it's over the phone, sometimes it's at the rink, sometimes it's you know wherever we are on the road. But uh, no, we're we're not like hanging out and uh, throwing down beers every night or anything like that. <laughs> and I, I'm glad I don't have anyone that I have a regular meeting spot with, because if I was ever in that situation, 100%, I would start saying stuff just to screw with the people eavesdropping. I would absolutely <laughs> yeah, just be like, so, I mean, so the comeback, Daniel, like is opening night, you're going to just watch somebody like run out of the room and, and start uh, start tweeting. I, I would get I would get in trouble because I would start talking about how he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame and then everybody would bum rush. Me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, Mark, I got to ask you. Can you please, and 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 certainly anyone who who hasn't read the piece yet, absolutely do. There, there's a ton of stuff in there, a ton of quotes. Uh, the one that is is getting a lot of attention is the one where he says, uh, and "This is Jonathan Taves." Is quoted by you at the end of the day. We're talking five year plus process, according to Kyle Davidson, the general manager. So that part of it doesn't sound appealing to me at all. And, and I gotta say, when I was reading the piece. My thought was that this sounds like a guy who is frustrated, but is trying to approach a tough situation rationally. Uh, And then as the day went on, I started seeing tweets from other (laughs) news sources. And I was like, oh, wow, this guy sounds pissed off. He's really mad. Define news source, Sean. Yeah. And and, and I honestly had, and this this is me being dumb, but I actually had a moment where I was like, oh, he's did Jonathan Taves like do the media rounds and talk to other people? And maybe he got like, as the day went on and no, he didn't, he talked to you. And this is all these other news sources that are what we politely in this industry call aggregating. What what I might say is stealing your content and then spinning it up 
And by the end of the day, I think there was this impression that Jonathan Taves is really worked up and beside himself. So having been there and sitting there and and looking him in the eye as he was saying this stuff, how ticked off is he right now? Yeah, no, like we could have a whole long dis- journalism discussion about, you know, the, the conflation of aggregators and actual journalists and the media illiteracy of people who can't tell the difference between reporting and aggregating. And that's a whole separate issue that drives, I think, most of us nuts. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I, 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 I saw that, too. I was getting Google News alerts saying, like, Jonathan Taves fuming about Blackhawk. And no, it wasn't that at all. He was in a great mood. He was very upbeat. He was, you know, he's, he's he feels great. I mean, you have to remember, this was a guy who, you know, a year and a half ago couldn't get out of his own bed for most days because he was dealing with, you know, what we believe to be long COVID, essentially, uh, after 15 years of mounting health issues. And, you know, he was thrilled. He's, he's, he feels like he's in great shape. He thinks he's going to have a great year. He thinks he has a lot of hockey left in him. He's really excited to play for Luke Richardson, who he met and talked with and, 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 and asked around about. And everybody said was just like the awesomest guy. Like, he, this is a guy who's very excited to play for the Blackhawks this year. But that said, he sees what we all see, that the Blackhawks are tanking this year. They are going to be absolute dog shit this year. There's no way around that. And they don't want to be better than that. They're trying to be bad. As a as a management process, that's part of the process here. And you know, I even said to Taze, I'm like, he's like, he's you know, I said, you're you're you and Kane are proof of why that works. And he kind of acknowledges, I understand it, I get it. But at 34 years old, not having really been in a true playoff atmosphere since 2017, you know, the bubble aside in Edmonton, this is a guy who wants to. He doesn't want to just kind of go out like this. He wants another crack at it, and you know, that's his right. He's earned that right. And frankly, the Blackhawks. He would rather, from the sense I get is the Blackhawks don't want him more than he doesn't want to be a Blackhawk. Like I could see a situation where he could stay and become like a pillar of the rebuild. He's really good with young players. He always has been, but I don't think the Blackhawks want him. So I don't think it's even his decision at this point. So he sees the reality. He sees what's going on and he was just acknowledging it. He's 34 years old. Of course, he doesn't want to be part of a five-year rebuild process. And if that if that's how long it takes, it could take longer. Look what Detroit's going through. They're like in year seven right now, and they're just starting to turn the corner. So of course he does that doesn't appeal to him. Does that mean he wants out and he's kicking and screaming to get out? No, it doesn't. Look, I, I I used that same quote when I tweeted out the story because it was the most direct he was during that whole interview. It's a good quote and it's dead on, and it's how he feels. But the problem with any anytime you're, you know, I've been in print journalism now for over 20 years, and you can lose tone. You know, you don't, it's just like, you know, sometimes you send a text message and you think you're being funny and someone interprets it as, you know, being dead serious. That happens. If you're not hearing a person speak, you might not understand how he's framing it. And Taves is not pissed. He is not whining. He is not complaining. He's bummed. He's bummed seeing all of his, all these good players go out the door for very little return. And he's bummed that, you know, he knows that the Blackhawks are probably not going to compete for a Stanley Cup for the rest of his career. That's disappointing. It's only human to feel disappointed by that. And that's all he was expressing. You know, what What I think is interesting, too, when you look at Taves's, uh cap hit, yes, it's $10, $10.5 million, but Mark, um, the base salary is only 2.9, right? It's like this season, yeah. uh, he, uh, $4 million was paid out in his signing bonus. So as we, and look, he's got full control of where he goes. He's got a no movement clause. It's not like they can uh, do what they did with Debrinket, which is just turn around and trade him anywhere. If you were trying to get inside of Jonathan Taves's head, is there, is there a market that you could see a fit for him and wherever he would land that, yeah, you know what, for one year, I could absolutely see Jonathan Taves in this spot? And that's just, you know, he, he acknowledged himself. He's like, if I'm not playing well, I have no trade value. I mean, he's fully aware of that. But if he does, like the second half of the year, he got his legs back underneath him. He was playing pretty good. He was starting to look like Jonathan Taves again. And if he's in the kind of shape he is, 
that he thinks he's in, and he plays well this year. Who wouldn't want to add Jonathan Taves as your third-line center for a playoff run? Are you kidding me? With the Blackhawks eating half his salary? Like you said, it's very low actual money and a cap it of 525 for the rest of the year. Like that, someone will take him up on that. And, you know, Taves acknowledges, like, you know, I'm not looking to leave, but, you know, if, if there's a good fit out there, a good opportunity, I, I might try that just for fun. Uh, that's that's where he's at in his career. And I, I can imagine a number of teams. He just wants to go somewhere where he can compete again, right? Where he can win again. You know, Jonathan Taves, is, he's always been all about winning, right? That's the whole thing. And I, I don't think there's certain cities that he's opposed to or in favor of. Um, Chicago's his home. Chicago's going to be his home, regardless of where he goes at the end of this year. And um, I, I, I don't think he'd be opposed to the idea of going to a contender, any contender, really. Uh, you know, he's, he's not a married guy. He doesn't have kids. You know, he's, he can go out and just, you know, if he wants to be a mercenary for the rest of his hockey life, he can do that. He wants to win. He wants one more shot at winning. And if the Blackhawks give him that opportunity and someone other team is willing to take him on, I, I think he would be okay with that. I think he'd be fine moving at the trade deadline. He didn't say yes or no to that, but that's the sense I get is he's kind of up for an adventure at this point. So from a Chicago perspective, if, and if I'm a Blackhawks fan, you know, I don't want this guy to go, but I'm also sitting there going, okay, it's a trade. Trades are always a little bit of fun to, to speculate and think about. Are, are, are we talking a deadline move at this point? Is there any scenario where he moves before the season starts? I, I doubt it. I mean, just again, because of the cap hit and because of just the, just the uncertainty of what player he is right now. You mm-hmm. know, he's not a $10.5 million player, certainly. Uh, it's debatable whether he's a $5.25 million player because the Blackhawks certainly can eat the money. I mean, they're not mm-hmm. trying, they're, they, they'll do anything to get to the cap floor at this point. So uh, it, it, I don't think, you know, I don't see it happening before the season. I think he needs to prove that he can still play. Uh, which I which I do think he will do. I think he again. I think he'd be a phenomenal third line center on a contending team. Rings in the room and all that. Um, yeah. But I, I don't see it happening until the deadline. It's just and and honestly, the Blackhawks are not going to get a haul for Jonathan Taves. You know, you're, 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 Patrick Kane is the one that can get you first round picks and and high end prospects because Patrick Kane is still one of the you know ten or fifteen best players in the world and will be for a few more years to come because his game just ages better than Taves does because he doesn't play that heavy heavy style that Taves plays. So, you know, if they move Taves, it's not going to be some kind of big piece of the rebuild. It's going to be almost as a favor to Jonathan Taves as just, you know, here you go. We're going to let you go chase a cup here rather than just finish out the season with us. So Taves is not going to be a big trading piece. Kane is the one who would be. Because that that was my my next question was, you know, if I'm a Blackhawks fan, as you said, they really seem to want to move this guy. And I'm thinking, well, you know, why why is that? If we're only going to if we're not going to get a haul for him. Uh, they're trying you know, to be is, bad, is it, Sean. They're trying well, not to win. And Jonathan see, Taves that, is that's the best center about, on the roster right now. And that's why I'm asking about, <laughs> you know, would they trade him now? Because, you know, you're saying like, you know, he, he needs to have a good first half to bump yeah. that trade value. And yeah, absolutely. You'd love to see him come out and, and, you know, we're all writing stories about the old Jonathan Taves is back. And wouldn't that be an amazing story? And then the trade value goes up and all of this stuff, except there it's very clear what the plan is in Chicago. And, yeah. You know, if the old Jonathan Tate shows up, that maybe can they afford to wait until the trade deadline two thirds of the way into the season if he's out there winning games for them, which definitely doesn't seem to be part of the plan. So I'm well, I'm very curious as to how they <laughs> balance uh, that uh, in in a season where um, you know they're trying to be bad, and yet if if Jonathan Taves and to some extent Patrick Kane are bad, then that can tank your uh, uh, trade value. 
It is. It's it's a fine line to walk. Like the Blackhawks signed, uh, you know, Andreas Athanasiu and uh, Max Domi, who once were very productive players in the NHL, because they're hoping to flip them at the deadline for for picks, right? But what if those guys are pretty good? I mean, the 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 better they play, the more they're going to fetch you. But the better they play, the more they ruin your tank, right? So it's it's a fine line that Kyle Davidson's walking here uh, for Taves and 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 for Kane, I think. Um, and I haven't spoken with Kane, you know, since all this went down yet, so I can't speak for him, but. I get the sense that they both kind of want, they, like they don't want to leave right now and they have full control. They have full no movement clauses. They want to see how this looks. They want to see what it's like to play for Luke Richardson. They want to see what some of these young guys have. It might be fun. Two years ago in the COVID season, the season that Jonathan Taves missed, the Blackhawks went into rebuild mode, remember? And they were going to, you know, it was, they, they put like seven or eight rookies in the lineup and they were building around to Brinkett and Kane and those guys. And they were in the playoff front for most of that COVID season. Like they were pretty good and it was fun. They were a fun team to watch. A bunch of young guys going out there playing above their heads and, and Kane was having a good time. That could happen this year. They, they might be bad, but it might be fun. They might like Luke Richardson enough that, you know, hey, maybe I want to be a piece of this sticking around. And, you know, maybe I'm willing to take a short-term cheap contract next year to, to continue to be a pillar of this rebuild. That's entirely possible. It's not likely, but it's possible. And I think both players want to find that out. They don't want to leave. They love Chicago. Patrick Kane wants to go down as the greatest Blackhawk of all time. He probably already is, but he's got a long way to go to catch Stan Makita's numbers. Jonathan Taves, he... Being the captain of the Chicago Blackhawks is like his whole identity. He loves that, and he doesn't want to give that up. Neither of these guys wants to leave. They just don't want to be stuck in a miserable situation. So if they start the season, and they're like, you know what? I like the vibe around here. Yeah, we're not good, but we're doing something here. We're doing something fun, and we're building towards something. Maybe they do want to be a part of that. And then it's up to Kyle Davidson if he wants them to be around beyond this season. That's possible. And I just think that... Kane and Taves are in wait-and-see mode. They just don't want to make a decision right now. They see the reality. They understand the situation, but they want to give it a chance. They want to be Chicago Blackhawks, and they're going to try it. But I think both of them are kind of seeing the writing on the wall and don't expect that to be the case. You know, Laz, in, in our minds, for hockey fans outside of Chicago, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane are forever linked, right? You think of the, yep. you think of one, you always think of the other. Could you give us a sense of how close they are? Like, per, like are they tight? buddies and, and and the reason why we're bringing this up is there any scenario as they both head to free agency next uh, after the season next summer that they pull a Paul Korea Temu Solani <laughs> we're going to go somewhere and we're going to go play for less money cuz we love playing with each other and we just want to yeah yeah we want to go try and win a cup again together like do you see any scenario where Taves and Kane are together in a different city next season I don't think that's a priority for them. I mean, look, they, they go back forever. They they were rookies together. They were roommates their first five years together. They were line mates in the early years. Like, they are friends, but they're not like BFFs. Like, Alex Dabrinkit was Patrick Kane's best friend on the team. And, you know, Jonathan Taves tends to hang out with the older guys. Like, not that there's many of those left. But they are they are tight. They are close. They talk a lot. But they they haven't even – I asked Taves about that. I'm like, have you spoken to Kane about this? And he says, we, we, we've, we've been meaning to bump into each other is how he phrased it. So, like, they, they don't have regular coffee dates either, just like me and Taves don't. And they, they – uh, they, but, but they are they are forever linked, and they know they're forever linked, and they, there's a ton of respect between the two of them. Uh, they like each other. They're friends. They are not inseparable. They are not attached at the hip. They're, they're attached at the hip in our minds, and they always will be. Um, I mean, hell, they're on the cover of my book, Arm in Arm. You know, they, they are the Blackhawks. Of the, they are the, the golden age of the Blackhawks for the two of them. But I don't think they need to be together. It, it's possible if someone's got the right cap space and the right needs. Uh, I, I'm sure they would love that. That would be fun for them. But I don't think that's at all a priority for them. Is it, uh, is, is it possible that some of this 
desire to move Jonathan Taves is just a case of trying to remove the last doubts from Patrick Kane being, you know, that, that he's the prize as far as if you're doing the rebuild, he's the guy you got to convince to move. Um, and if he sees Jonathan Taves walk out the door, maybe that's the final piece that says, you know what, this it's, it's time to go for me too. I mean, God, if, if, if losing to Brinkett and Strom, his two line mates wasn't enough. I mean, I, they've, they've been, they've been, they've been flashing the neon sign to Patrick Kane that we want to trade you for a better part of a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that's the primary motive of all this stuff. I, I really do think that Kyle Davidson just feels they need to tear it down to the studs, get as many assets as possible and build it back up, you know, for a new generation. But I, I do feel like a lot of these, like, like there's no reason you couldn't have brought Dylan Strome back on like a one or two year deal, right? Just to be your number one center in the meantime, during the transition, someone's got to be, you know, number one center. But I do think that they were trying, you know, at, as a, uh, as a secondary or tertiary goal here was to show Patrick Kane, look, just, just, Wave the no movement clause. Let us let us trade you. Let us get more picks because I do think that's what Kyle Davidson wants. That Kane's in such a different situation than Taves because Kane is still really good and he can fetch you a lot. And you have to decide whether you want him to be a part of the rebuild because honestly, four or five years, Patrick Kane's still going to be pretty good at 38, 39 years old. He's his game will age beautifully, but I don't think the Blackhawks see it that way and they just they want to get something for him. They don't want to lose him for nothing the way you know we see so many big free agents. I mean, you, you can't just let Patrick Kane leave for nothing, right? You have to get something for him. And I think that's part of this has been, you know, Patrick, accept the trade so we can get something for you. Final question for you here, Laz. And you, you've you written about this, you've talked about this, that the legacy of those Chicago teams, it's a little complicated. It's not cut and dry, black or white. If Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane somehow get traded either before the season starts, trade deadline, whatever, what's their legacy in Chicago? It's so complicated right now because everything everything that touches the 2010 Stanley Cup team now is 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 tainted in some way. And you know, I, I wrote about that last year that you know Jonathan Taves' legacy is just increasingly complicated. The one the one pure thing the Blackhawks had was Jonathan Taves, right? He was everything you want in a leader and a captain and a player. Uh, he was clutch. He was talented. He was hardworking. He was everything you want. And now, but he's he was the captain of the 2010 team, and he you know said he didn't know about things until I think it was training camp the next season. Um, it, it, everyone has to make that decision for themselves. I mean, you know, anyone who was in that room that decided to sweep Kyle Beach under the rug, to me, should have no business ever being in hockey again. Like Joel Quenville should never coach again. Stan Bowman should never be a GM again. You know, I was surprised that Kevin Shevel day off. I, he's a grown man who was in that room and he did nothing. Like everyone in that room to me is a pariah and should remain one. For the players, it's difficult. And if you read the, the Jenner and Block report, you know, the players – didn't know much and the, and the black aces don't hang out with the players. And I know that, you know, a lot of players, Kyle Beach said that everyone knew. And if Kyle Beach said that, then I believe that. But, you know, to what extent did they know? When did they know? What should they have done as a player? Everyone has to make that decision for themselves. And it is a part of Taves' legacy now, like it or not, fair or not. And I think it is fair to, 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 to include this in the discussion. He was the captain of a team that, that, allowed this to happen. He was in a position of leadership on the ice in that locker room and this happened. That's part of his story now. And, um, you know, I think history tends to be kind to these people and Jonathan Taves did a lot of good for this team and he was a phenomenal player and he was a model citizen, uh, for most of his career here. And then, you know, but that's going to be a part of his story and it's up to every individual fan. And it's something that Blackhawks fans have been grappling with for 15 months now is how do you, you know, incorporate that story and, and everything you know about it now into, you know, some of the best 
times you've ever had as a, as a sports fan. And it's, it's up to each individual fan to decide that. Hey, well said. Listen, uh, lads, we'll leave it there. Uh, again, terrific work. If you haven't read it, it is a phenomenal exclusive interview, interview with uh, with Jonathan Taves that uh, Laz has up at The Athletic. Listen, thanks for this. Hopefully you'll enjoy some uh, some downtime here in the weeks to come, and uh, we'd love to get you back on the, uh, the pod at some point down the road. Thanks, guys. Anytime. Yeah, and get to work, aggregators. Do it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, that was a uh, that was a great conversation with Mark Lazarus. Again, terrific job getting uh, Jonathan Taze for that exclusive. And uh, we're going to do something rare on the Thursday show here, Sean. We're going to go back-to-back with the guests. We're going to go from uh, Mark Lazarus right over to our pal Jesse Granger, who joins us every Thursday for a little segment we like to call Granger Things, brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner uh, with us at The Athletic. And uh, I'll tell you what, though, Granger, uh, we got a little bit of a bone to pick with you. Uh, you had some significant personal news this last week, and yet you did not choose this show, this platform, to release that news. Instead, you went to social media to announce your engagement. So it's a little bit of a, yeah, congratulations, but ah, we're a little sour. You could have come on here and uh, announced it to the world. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I was trying to, I was debating between what was more romantic, uh, <laughs> proposing at the Bellagio Fountains or announcing mm-hmm. it on the Athletic Hockey Show. So um, I, I don't know. I'm, I, we'll see if I pick the right one or not. Yeah. That's a tough one. But we got to say congratulations to uh, somebody uh, in, in the hockey world in Vegas finally getting a ring. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Yeah. So I, I know, listen, hockey fans are going to want to know, like, you haven't set, you were just telling us before we got on, you haven't set a date, right? Right. For the wedding, see, Vegas fans could be reading it. Like, if you say, "Ah, uh, yeah, we've uh, we booked the wedding first week of June, second week of June," mm-hmm. people would be like, "Hey, this guy has no faith in the Golden Knights." You just realize that your your date that you booked the wedding, Golden Knights fans are going to read into that. I'm just saying, hey, FYI. I hadn't considered that, but you're probably right. It might it might have to be a, a late June, early July, uh, just exactly. just to get them off my back. Yeah, yep. exactly. Just, just think about that. Yeah, free free advice from us here. All right. Uh, so we're, we're we're excited to have you on because you have a piece that just dropped this morning at the Athletic, where you look at the teams that improved and I guess worsened their odds the most for the Stanley Cup uh, this season, vis a vis where they were at at the end of June when the Stanley Cup was awarded. Now. Full disclosure, Sean and I have not read the piece. We've both been kind of busy this morning, so I will read it. But now, the beauty of this, though, is that we get to guess who, which teams have improved the most and which have uh, kind of worsened the most. So, maybe uh, listen, let's let Sean have first crack here. You, you can pick, Sean, who's, who's improved, okay. who's worsened. 
You go. Well, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll do one of each because I feel like the obvious spot to start is with the, the biggest offseason news, which is Johnny Gaudreau. So I'm assuming that the Blue Jackets have shot way up and, and the Flames have taken a hit. I, I don't know how far up the Blue Jackets would go, but I'm guessing from close to the bottom to maybe not as close to the bottom. Great guesses. Um, so Columbus is not in the top five in terms of most improved, but they wow. did improve. They did improve. There were okay. 11. Sorry, there were nine teams that improved their odds and Columbus was one of them. Um, part of the reason is, is I think it's just they weren't close enough to to go. Like, like you said, they kind of went from not really having a chance to mm-hmm. still not really having a chance, okay. but you think they might kind of claw into the playoffs. I think if you were looking at odds to make the playoffs, I think Columbus probably would have seen a much bigger jump, but um, to win the Stanley cup, I think not many people believe in them, even with Johnny Goudreau, but you were spot on with Calgary. They, their odds, they hurt their odds the most of any team this off season uh, so far. That's probably not surprising. Um, they, really took a dip. I mean, they went from they were they were plus 1800, which the way I did this instead of just comparing the odds and subtracting, okay, they went from this to this, I actually did it by implied percentage, which without getting super complex on a podcast where people can't see the actual numbers. um, If you're plus 1800 to win the Stanley Cup, it's basically saying you have a 5.26% chance of winning the cup. So they went from a 5% chance of winning the cup to now they've got a 4.3% chance of winning a cup. So they hurt themselves by almost a full percentage point, which may not sound like a lot, but um, that was the most of any team in the, in the NHL this offseason. Calgary dropped a full percentage point in terms of how, cha- how good of a chance they have of winning the cup. And basically, this is just based off of where people are putting their money. Um, the odds were already set. The way they change those odds is, I mean, a huge move can change them, but for the most part, it's where people are putting their money. So people are not believers in the flames after even after the uh, Kachuk and Goudreau uh, exits and the Huberto and Uyghur entrance. Okay. It's my turn to guess, and just because we had him on in the last segment, Mark Lazarus, who covers Chicago, I feel like Chicago is top of mind for me, and he just spent a segment with us talking about they got rid of Kirby Doc and uh, Strom and the Brinkett, and here goes Taves, and here goes Kane, likely. Um, am I right in guessing Chicago's odds have uh, have worsened here? Yes. And and it's actually kind of impressive because, like I was just saying with Columbus, the the higher your odds are, the 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 more of a long shot the team is, the harder it is to move in terms of the percentage, right? Because it takes a lot more movement to move a smaller percentage. So, just to quantify it, the Blackhawks were a hundred to one to win the Stanley Cup on June twenty sixth after the Avs won the Cup. Hundred to one, they were fourth worst in the league. Now they are five hundred to one. So they, they have. Wow. A, a massive, massive increase. Now that only changes their percentage change. They they only lost seven point seven nine percent. They went from one percent chance to a point two percent chance of winning the cup because it's so long. So they're only the fourth most in terms of like who lost the most ground. But yes, they went from one hundred one to five hundred to one. Um, they are now tied with the Coyotes for the worst odds in the entire NHL. Okay, so that that okay, I was right there. So then let me also be equal. Equally lazy. We just had Mark Lazarus on, and I went with that. Now let me go with the team I cover for a day uh, for a living, which would be Ottawa. And I this could end up being like Columbus, where uh, it seems like an obvious one because when Sean said Columbus, I was like, oh yeah, gotta be Columbus. Um, I'm gonna guess Ottawa here, but you tell me if I'm wrong. 
No, you're right. They improved their odds the third most of any team in the league this year. Um, Florida was number one. Florida improved wow. their, if their okay. odds the well, most. And again, the closer you get to winning the cup, the, the less movement you've got to make, right? So um, they were 10 to 1. The Florida Panthers were 10 to 1 to win it back when the offseason started. They're now 9 to 1 to win it. So they went up a full percentage point almost, 0.91 of a percentage point. Um, I think that is... The, the betting market loves to react to blockbuster deals. And even though the, the, the Panthers gave up a lot to get Matthew Kachuk, I think the fact that they were the winners of the Kachuk sweepstakes and equals immediate bets put on that team. Um, the Colorado Avalanche were number two, which I thought was surprising. They actually probably got mm. worse this offseason, losing yeah. Darcy wow. Kemper. Um, and they also lost Obey Kubel and Burakovsky. But I think it was a I think what happened was people were betters were waiting to see if the teams around the Avs stacked up to to kind of match them. And they didn't. So then everyone said, right. OK, now that free agency is over and I don't think any of these teams have gotten significantly better, the Avs are still the best team and they're putting money on them. But then right between right behind those two powerhouses are the Ottawa Senators. They went from eight, uh, sorry, 80 to one to win on June 26th to now they are 50 to one to win. So a pretty big jump up. Um, like you, Ian, you know, well, how, what they've done. I, I, yeah. I'm a big fan of of the goalie swap. They got cheaper in net by going to Cam Talbot. And to me, Cam Talbot's a better goalie. He's he's outproduced Matt Murray in each of the last three seasons and just about every stat you can measure goaltending by. Um, so, yeah, so you see Ottawa, they're still obviously pretty long shot to win it at 50 to one, but that's a big jump up from 80 to one. And they've also gone up um, in terms of winning the Atlantic division. They, they finished second to last last year, and they're kind of right in the middle of the pack of the division in terms of uh, odds to win uh, the Atlantic. That's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, all right. Can I make a couple more guesses? Yeah, for sure. Um, Carolina must have gone. Going out and getting a couple of guys, big names for next to nothing. Did they you know go what? up? I was actually surprised to see no movement for Carolina. And really? I don't know if that's just because people aren't like, I, obviously, they get patch ready and that was huge, but I don't know if people just aren't buying that or if, or if maybe the just Carolina is not a big enough name to draw interest. I'm honestly not sure their, their odds did not change at all. They, they okay. stayed, they, they were at 7.69% chance of winning the cup and they are still there right at 7.69. All right. And then, okay. So you say Carolina, maybe not a big enough market to draw interest. So that brings us to what is always the elephant in the room. And I will, I will say, I didn't read the piece. But I've got called it up on my screen and I see a big picture of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I know they're on, on one of the lists. Yes. And I'm guessing it's not the good one because I'm guessing maybe the well, I guess we'll find out their big move was in goal. I went on the record about what I thought of that. Um, does the betting public agree with me or not? Did the uh, did the Maple Leafs show up on the bottom five list? So so it's funny that you mentioned that the Leafs are the featured photo on the story. And the reason we did that is because I think that was the only team that you couldn't it would it would be a toss up whether they're in the top five or the bottom. Yep. I think most other teams, it would be pretty obvious if you saw the picture. That's why I like <laughs> them. And surprisingly, they are in the top five most what? improved odds. Yes, they are. Wow. And again, really? this is a case of a team being very close, so not needing to move much to to move the needle. But 
They were plus 850, so eight and a half to one to win the cup. And now they're plus 800, so eight to one. They, they moved up a half of a percentage point in terms of implied odds, 0.58, almost 0.6 of a point. So um, I don't necessarily, I mean, like maybe Sean can give some explanation. I thought they would have gotten worse. That certainly, makes no cer- sense at all to me. Right. Unless the, the only thing I could think of is, it, you know, you look at what else is happening in the division, but we just said Florida went up. Um, Tampa, I maybe would have dropped a little bit. Boston, I, I, I could see taking a, a big step back, but if Ottawa's moving up into that spot, I, I don't see how the path out of the Atlantic got any better for the Maple Leafs. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty stunned by that, to be honest. So Tampa Bay actually had the, they were, they were tied with Calgary for the biggest drop in odds of any team in the league. Um, they, and again, it's not a massive drop. They went from nine to one to ten to one to win, uh, which is a almost a full percentage point um, in terms of implied odds. So, so the Lightning they they signed all those guys to long term deals, right? Mikhail Sergachev, Anthony Sorelli, uh, Cernak. But then they lost McDonough, they lost Palat. I think people are starting to see this. Like the 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 salary cap is slowly chipping away at this ridiculously stacked team, and I think we're seeing mm-hmm. like last year we saw them take maybe a little bit of a step back. I think people are kind of losing their their faith that this Lightning team is going to continue the dynasty that they've been for the last three years. Um, and then also Boston, Boston didn't make the top five, but they were just outside of it. They were the sixth. Uh, they were sixth in terms of dropping their odds the most. Um, so, so both Boston and Tampa had bad off seasons. I think that kind of does at least partly explain why people are high on Toronto. Listen, Jesse. I, uh, oh, sorry. Do you have a question? I, I, I was. Yeah. I mean, um, just my observation was, uh, and and you see this a lot when you're doing analytics or anything like that. It, the fact that if if I'm not mistaken, I, I, I haven't heard you give a percentage over one percent yet. And you know, the all the attention that we put on. The off season, we analyze every move and we speculate about everything, and we you know make whole days out of free agency and everything. And then you get to the end, and the the people who have actual skin in the game as far as, as setting the odds, are it feels like are just making very slight nudges to the teams, and not you know even even a team like Columbus that makes a massive move, uh, you don't see that really reflected. And uh, it 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 either makes me think that maybe they're being a little too conservative. And there's some some room to to make some smart plays here, or maybe we're just all kind of living in fantasy land where uh, we get a little too excited over maneuvering in a, a league where one or two players still can't move the needle all that much. Yeah, I think you're you're totally spot on it with both. I think I think we I think we do overplay the importance of free agency, um, but I also think that hockey is such a tough sport to predict and it's tough to predict how one guy will change a team. I think in basketball, it's a lot easier or in football, if it's, if it's the right position, it's easier. Um, but you're right. It's the, the biggest increase was Florida. They saw a 0.91 percentage of a chance change. So less than a percent. And, and the two that got the most that hurt their odds, the most were Tampa and Calgary. And that was 0.91 the other way. So, uh, no, for, no full percentage point in terms of their chances to win the Stanley Cup improved through free agency this offseason for any team. It, it'll still be fun to read the co- – got to read this piece later today, and then it'll be fun to still go down to the comment section, see the anger for, I can't believe my team's odds moved by 0.7% <laughs> and – See the rage, but uh, yep. yes, and I can't. I can't wait to see people accusing you of showing a least right. bias. That'll the, be uh, right. You yeah. know, everyone who hangs out in the comment section of Dom's article and 
demonstrates over and over again that they don't understand how numbers work can now migrate over to Jesse and uh, spend the day yelling at him. The great part about that I always tell the commenters about stories specifically talking about betting is if you disagree with these numbers, they're literally there for you to bet against. So the whole purpose of these numbers even being created is for you to wager against. So if you disagree with them, you've got a lot of money to make. (laughs) That's yeah. Again, well said, uh, because it's uh, it's it's a segment brought to you by BetMGM. You know the exclusive betting partner with the athletics, so maybe people can uh, can go ahead and, and figure out if they want to uh, if they want to uh, go against Dom or, or or Shana or anybody or like Jesse what he put together there. Listen, uh, appreciate this. This was a lot of fun, and uh, we'll get it again. Uh, we'll get it again uh, next Thursday. Awesome! Thanks for having me, guys. Great stuff with uh, with Jesse Granger there uh, as always. And uh, before we open the, the mailbag, though, Sean, I do I do want to talk about something that I think turned into. Uh, the biggest story in hockey this week, certainly in on, on our side of the border up here in Canada, and that is uh, the latest of the Hockey Canada abuse scandal. And um, uh, there was two days of parliamentary hearings. I attended uh, both of those in person. Uh, it was about eight hours in total of, uh, you know, sitting in a boardroom uh, across the street from Parliament Hill, listening to members of Parliament in Ottawa here um, basically grill up executives from Hockey Canada. Uh, OHL, CHL, uh, QMJHL commissioners, other stakeholders that were involved in this. Uh, before I maybe pass along some of my observations uh, from what I uh, you know saw and heard and experienced, I, I actually just want to get your uh, view on this because I think sometimes when you cover a story the way that I've kind of been thrown into this one lately, um, you, you don't understand how it's landing on the outside. And, as, and in particular, when I've been at eight hours of meetings I don't know, like, how is all of this resonating with people outside of the room? And I know that you were likely following along either on social media or watching those uh, proceedings. I, I mean, how did you think things played out here this week? And, and, and were there any takeaways for you that, that, that really stuck with you? I mean, the takeaway, if anything, is just that this continues to be a huge story in Canada. And it continues to be an evolving one. And, you know, I'm, I'm like a lot of people. When this story first started to, to, to percolate and, and you started getting some of the details, there was that cynical view of, oh, boy, I bet you this is just going to fade. I bet you this isn't, you know, they're, they're going to run out the clock on this. And, and that certainly seemed to have been the strategy um, in 2018 was, you know, we can make this go away. And it worked for a few years and you wondered if it would work again. And and if anything, we don't know how this is going to resolve. We don't know where this story goes, but at the very least we can, we can put away this idea that this is something that is going to go away on its own. It's not, this is, this is huge up here. Yeah. And you know, like for me, I, the, you know, the big takeaway I had was, you know, listening to these members of parliament and then also, uh, you know, Sheldon Kennedy had a very strongly worded uh, letter on, on social media that the, there isn't just a call for change from people. There's a demand for change. Like people are demanding uh, that that Hockey Canada, um, you know, has a complete reset from the top. And you know, I'll I'll let our listeners in, and even you hint on this. Uh, you know, Scott Smith, uh, who is the current CEO of Hockey Canada, took over for Tom Rennie. To his credit, you know, he he does the one hour, sorry, the three hours of parliamentary hearings. We kind of, as reporters, we rush out into the foyer, uh, like the lobby of this area, thinking, okay, maybe he'll stop and maybe he won't. I wasn't thinking he was going to stop. He did. 
he stopped for questions. And I was <laughs> I was a little bit taken aback. So they had a PR media relations person directing the questions. All of a sudden, Sean, the guy points at me. He says, all right, you're up first. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, you know, it, it, it's it's a, I'll be honest with you. For a sports guy, it's a little bit intimidating to be in the parliamentary environment. Not dissimilar, I would think, to when political and hard news people have to come cover sports. It's just we live in separate worlds, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, suddenly he points at me. He's like, all right, you're up and identify yourself. I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm, you know, Ian Meadows with the athletic. And I, I thought, you know, let me ask the question to Scott Smith of, and I think the way I phrased it was, do you understand the skepticism from the Canadian public that you are the right person and you are the right people to lead this change? And, you know, I, I think that's a fair question. And he, he was very emphatic that he is the right person. He says, you know what? I am the right person and I can lead this change. I just, I just don't know that that answer is satisfactory though, right? To anybody, because I think what would have been more effective is if Hockey Canada officials got up there on this uh, podium in this testimony on Wednesday and said, before we begin, we would like to announce we have tendered our resignation effective immediately. We feel that the only way to affect change is to be the change. And mm -hmm. by doing this, it is symbolic, but it's also a tangible sign of what we're doing. I think that would have resonated with a lot of people. And I'm not saying that they can't, be the ones to effectively drive change. I just feel like you had your chance to do that and you didn't do it. That's and all. and I, I, I got to say, it, it's it's all well and good that he feels he's the person to drive the change. I, it's not up to him at this point. Right. I mean, when you've got people calling for resignations, look, I mean, sometimes, yes, it, it, uh, he, he probably should feel that he's the guy. Um, yeah, maybe you'd be disappointed if he didn't feel that way, but this is, um, I, I don't think that on its own is a going to be a satisfactory answer, even if that is really all that he probably could say. And, and again, it, this is a complicated story that is uh, likely, uh, going to have a lot of moving parts in the, uh, in the weeks and months ahead. I do want to take one moment and look uh, working on this with Katie Strang and Dan Robson has been. Uh, a very eye-opening experience for me. Uh, those two are phenomenal reporters. Our editorial team is amazing. That's been great. I do want to just take one moment out of our podcast to tip uh, our hat to Rick Westhead. Uh, yes. Rick from, from TSN in the last year has, or you know, roughly 12, 15 months, whatever it is, has broken the Kyle Beach story out of Chicago. The initial report that a young woman uh, may have been sexually assaulted at a Hockey Canada event in London, Ontario in 2018, and the alleged incident of sexual assault of a young woman by multiple players, which apparently might have been videotaped at the World Junior Championships in Halifax 2003. All of those stories were initially found and reported by Rick Westhead. And, and the reason why I want to take a moment to tip my hat is I hope hockey fans listening to this podcast understand the importance of the Rick Westheads and then and, and Katie Strang's to our mm -hmm. industry. But Rick in particular has been the guy on these stories. He's kicked the door down. He's allowed myself and Dan and Katie to start shining a light. He's allowed the Globe and Mail to start looking around and 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 uh, you know, Sean, we we always look at um what's that award for media excellence at the Hall of Fame, the Elmer Ferguson Award? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um 
I would, I would, I would put, if you're asking me what media person has had the biggest impact on the game in the last X number of years, the answer unequivocally is Rick Westhead. And what really bothers me is that he would never get a chance to get into the Hall of Fame. And I think what he's done has been Hall of Fame worthy coverage. And I hope every mm -hmm. hockey fan is appreciative of that, you know? Yep. Absolutely. And look, I, I will I will to piggyback on that. I, I think you're you're being somewhat overly modest on the work that that you and Katie and Dan have done. Um and as well as Mark and Scott in Chicago and, and covering Kyle Beach. I mean, these are these are tough stories. And one of the great things about working at the athletic is is we're independent. We don't have business relationships with the NHL or anything like that, that we have to tiptoe around, um, which allows uh, you guys to do some, some phenomenal work to bring it back to Rick. I mean, Rick works for TSN. TSN has all sorts of relationships with the NHL and that cannot be easy, uh, you know, for, for him to be driving these sorts of stories in the hockey world and, and not just with the NHL, uh, TSN and hockey Canada have, have been hand in hand for decades. And, and yet, um, he's he, credit to Rick for, for doing the work and credit to TSN for getting out of the way and letting him do it. Um, and I think that is very important in, in our world that people be able to go out and, and find the truth, even if the truth is going to tick off somebody that you may have a business relationship with. Yeah, exactly. That, uh, that is well said. All right. Like I said, um, that hockey Canada story is certainly an evolving situation and, uh, one that I hope our listeners and audience will trust us to, uh, to carry it moving forward. Let's, uh, let's wrap up the pod, Sean, as we always do with, uh, with a little mailbag stuff, chance for us to kind of get back, uh, into some lighter things. Now, last week you had maybe your most, um, passionate take in the history of this podcast, at least my time with you. And that was you defending 1980s nachos from Maple Leaf Gardens, okay? And Shauna has written in, and first of all says, when I was growing up in Texas, our concession stand nachos were exactly like how Sean described those nachos from Maple Leaf Gardens. So wasn't just a Toronto thing. Texas too, okay? Texas too. Um, but Shauna also says when we talked about um, – maybe trading recipes or, or different things from arenas. Shauna says, look, I'm a vegetarian. I think that teams with decent pretzels should use their recipes in a trade. And Washington can use Hershey's pretzels because those are the best arena pretzels I've had so far. First of all, are you even a pretzel? Like, are you a pretzel no, guy I've, when you go to a sporting I've, event? I've never been a pretzel guy. Like, I, I will have, like, a, like a bag of, like, the little pretzels, but I'm not, like, a get Soft a pretzel. giant pretzel and some mustard and you know I, I have never been that but did she say hershey's pretzel yeah th this is what i'm trying to figure out was this a typo or because i'm thinking like are these chocolate covered soft pretzels maybe but you can't i mean it's, it's hershey's that's pennsylvania isn't it like isn't yeah. that going to be another thing that they're going to lay claim to <laughs> i don't know i don't know there's another I, metro yeah. division rivalry yeah. coming into yeah. focus here yeah the pretzels but hey, by the way uh, I got to say, I'm with you on the soft pretzels. Like, imagine if you went to somebody's house or you went anywhere, they're like, hey, would you like a piece of bread with yeah. some salt on it? And I'll give you some mustard. You'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> but would you like a pretzel? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, like, that's, that's what it is. It's I'm a piece in. of bread with road salt on it uh, <laughs> and uh, and mustard. People are going crazy. Uh, it does work okay. By, by the way, just on the topic of the food, I got to say, overwhelming response to my take that well, it wasn't even a take 
my speculation that they probably had cheesesteaks in Philly arenas and sports venues that were terrible. The number of people who confirmed that was significant. Uh, that that you you could buy an overpriced Philly cheesesteak uh, that wasn't going to be very good if you were at a sporting event in Philadelphia. Well, in fact, Anthony has written into the show, and you can email us to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Anthony says, "Listen to your pod, guys." At the end, you mentioned you were both curious if there was legit cheesesteaks at the Wells Fargo Center. We used to have Campos, which was a great old school place on Market Street. Uh, But about three or four years ago, they got rid of it, put in a generic place. It's truly dreadful. And yes, it'll cost you 15 bucks. There it is. So there you go. I have very few takes on this podcast that are correct. But the one where I had no idea what I was talking about was just guessing. Seems to have been a home run. Okay. One other one here from Aaron. Who's got a quick would you rather game? And actually, this is like one of those great questions that you probably would have put together in one of your uh, written piece mailbags because you always have some fun questions. Uh, here's a would you rather game for the two of you. Um, would you, w- if, if we gave you a chance to assemble a team of players that were all drafted in the seventh round or later and you could have them in their best season, would you take that team or would you take a team of first overall picks? who played as they did in an average year in their career. So what Aaron is saying, you could take some late draft picks, seventh round or later, you take them in their best season, and you put them head-to-head against number one overall picks who are just having an average season. Right. That's. I mean, that's a tough one, because obviously you're talking first overall picks. You've got like 40 guys, 50 if you go back to the amateur draft days, um, to choose from versus – Seventh round and later, hundreds upon hundreds that have have made the NHL. And you're getting their best season. You get to cherry pick the best season. Boy, that's uh, that's a tough one because you know you wouldn't. I mean, first of all, goaltending would be an enormous edge for the late picks because you they'd have Hasek, they'd have Becker, Renee, they'd have some other guys. Whereas, uh, I mean, team first overall has got Mark Andre Fleury and. Not much else, but Di Pietro might be your backup. So, you know, right there, that's a big one. It, it, defensemen, there's not a lot of defensemen that get picked first overall. So, I mean, you're probably going to have an advantage there. But then, you know, you get to the forwards and you've got McDavid and Matthews and Mario and, uh, you know, guys like that. It is, uh, you know, taking the average season. I don't know. Is an average Matt Sundin or Mike Medano better than Keith Doug Gilmore? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You'd have to, you'd have to kind of lay it out. But I, I really feel like you're gonna, you're gonna be top heavy with that first overall team. But you're gonna start running out of guys pretty soon. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's go to this week in hockey history. Just one for you this week. I want to go to July 26, 1989, because I got two things to kind of bring into this. July 26, 1989. Larry Robinson, who had spent 17 years with the Montreal Canadiens, signs with LA as a free agent. Robinson would play three more years with the Kings. And they would make the playoffs each year. So, Sean, Larry Robinson played 20 years in the NHL, made the playoffs every year. The question I ask to you is, is there any scenario where you could see a player in today's NHL going wire to wire without ever missing the playoffs? I can't imagine. Not in a 20-year career. Not in a 32-team league. Unless they expand the playoffs. Uh, you know, if we if we do that someday, then then maybe. But... Uh, no, I mean, it, 
back then, and this I'm taking nothing away from Larry Robinson, but most of his career spent in the 21-team NHL when 16 teams made the playoffs. And and even any basic competence, which certainly that that old Montreal Canadiens team had, was was a surefire ticket to the playoffs. Um, I can't see it. I, I can't imagine that compared to today, where we you know we see good teams miss the playoffs because half the league does. And uh, the, uh, twenty years in a row, I can't I can't even imagine. No, I'm I'm I, I I like because yeah, think of like if you're a generational player. And you're taking it at the top of the draft. You're like Crosby. He missed year one, right? Um, mm-hmm. Matthews. He missed in the beginning, and it's very hard to just all of a sudden. If you're a high draft pick, you're in the playoffs year one, and then it's off and running. So I'm with you. I think. Hey, boy, even we I, play, I, Austin Matthews has made it every year. He's he, if if we count, oh, he has right. Yeah, that's right. Sixteen, yeah, sixteen, seventeen. He did make it. Yeah. Maybe Austin Matthews on the way. I mean, he's certainly not racking up a lot of wear and tear from all those seasons, uh, <laughs> you know, being one and done every year. So maybe, maybe he's he's got the secret to do it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't and know I, if that Arizona team's going to be good enough in a couple of years. So wow, we'll there you go, putting it out. There. I wonder, like, I wonder right now what, play, and maybe it is Matthews, but what player from the start of his career has the longest playoff streak going? Might be yeah, Matthews. as far as having it never be. missed, I, it's tough because even guys like Sidney Crosby have. You know, there have yeah. been a Sid couple missed of years. Year one. Yeah. They've missed uh, Washington missed uh, a year. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I, I'm sure somebody's got a longer streak than Matthews because Matthews would only be what, like six five, years at this five point. years, six years. Yeah. 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 Somebody else uh, has got to be out there. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough. It's tough, especially if you're a, a big star, because you're that means you're drafted at the top of the draft, which means you're going to a team that isn't very good. Uh, you're probably going to miss year one, you would think so. Oh, well, somebody somebody can figure that out for us. Yeah. All right. And and the other reason why I want to bring that one up. So Larry Robinson signs, signs with the LA Kings. Real quick, the LA Kings were in the news this week, Sean, as they announced that Dustin Brown would get a statue. What was your immediate yeah. reaction when you heard Dustin Brown was getting a statue, uh, like yeah. a commemorative statue by the LA Kings? I was surprised. Um Especially when you see the names of like other people who have statues around that that building, which like Magic would, Johnson would and Dustin Brown. Well. Yeah, it it that's a surprise to me. When you consider like you know, when I think L.A. Kings, I think Gretzky, Luke Robitaille, guys like that. Obviously, you, you would assume Kopitar and Doughty and Dustin Brown seemed weird to me, and and I feel like I have to sort of. I feel like this needs to be the same criteria I use when it comes to retired jerseys, which is whatever that fan base wants is fun. I don't think anyone outside of Vancouver gets to say, oh, Marcus Naslin shouldn't have his number retired. Screw that. If the fans like it, I'm good with it. I guess the same should apply to to, to statues. Um, but boy, that seems like I, I don't ever want to be doing like a worst guys to have a statue. Um but, uh, you know, it might be Ted Rogers and Dustin Brown at some point. <laughs> oh, man. Or, yeah, or any uh, politician from the 1800s, right? Like, they're like, ah, that guy yeah. shouldn't have a statue. They take it down. But, yeah, yeah, is Dustin Brown the only guy in hockey history to have gone from, should we buy this guy out to a statue? I think so, right? Like, it's unbelievable. Like He'd be right up there. And they announced they're they're doing his number two, which is cool. I'm good with that. The guy was the captain of your Stanley Cup winning team. Absolutely, by all means, retire his number. But 
boy. Um, yeah, I don't know that. Uh, yeah, the bio. Maybe the bio statue combo has to become a thing. It's like, look, <laughs> you get a call from the GM. Hey, we're giving you a statue. Cool. Well, hold on. There's there's part two of this message. <laughs> That's right. You're yeah. gonna be free for ceremony day because uh, you're unemployed. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Hey, listen. We'll leave it there. I appreciate everybody for uh, those emails and, uh, and and your feedback into the show. We love it, especially here in the summertime. We love uh, trying to tackle some of your questions. You can always email us to theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. Not a subscriber with us. You can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. Get an annual subscription for a dollar a month for the first six months. You can also subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. You'll get all of our bonus content from the entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. 